Let's look to the Lord. Prayer. Lord, thank you for this time. We can get into your word. And Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit would lead and guide us into truth. Lord, I pray you'll open up our hearts to receive what you're wanting to speak to us tonight, Lord. Thank you for your word. It's a light and a lamp unto our feet. It's wisdom from above, Lord, and I pray you would impart wisdom, your wisdom, into our hearts tonight, Lord, as we look at your word, God. So we thank you and just pray you'll bless our time in the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to actually go back a verse uh, in 1 Corinthians 1, in verse 17. We're actually going to go, I think we'll be able to do it through 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. So we're going to go from verse 17 all the way to 1 Corinthians 2, uh, up to verse 5. So let me just read here verses 17 and 18. Again, I want to encourage you guys, you know, be reading this, get into it for yourselves, and let God speak to you through it, okay? For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with wisdom of words. In other words, its origin is from God. It's not from man. Lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So we remember last week, he was dealing with the whole division thing. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. And he's kind of bringing things in here to, hey, it's about the gospel. And that's what God's called me to preach, the gospel. So that's what we're going to look at tonight, the gospel. And all of us have been given that same calling as his followers. Go and make disciples of Christ. And the message we have, it tells us here, is the power of God. And we got to know that. Like, we have the answer. We have man's answer because what's the greatest problem of man sin and the gospel is the answer for sin so there's no greater power there's no greater solution to man's problems than the gospel that's why paul in romans 1 16 says i am not ashamed of the gospel of christ for it is the power of god to salvation for everyone who believes for the jew first and also for the Greek. So as a Christian, we should never cower. We should never back down or feel like we're inferior, even though someone might come with their doctor's degrees and all the wisdom of this world, thinking they got all the answers. Um, we know because of our testimony, because of what God has done in our lives and the power of the gospel has done in our lives. I mean, I could relate it to, you know, when I was a drug addict and all the different things I tried, all the wisdom and ways of man to deal with that. But yet the power of the gospel delivered me. It didn't make me maintain or, you know, recover the rest of my life. No, it totally transformed my life. So I know what the gospel can do. And I don't have to back down or cower in the corner, even though they might say, oh, well, that's just foolish. Oh, that, it's not that simple. It's a lot deeper than that. And we need, you know, philosophers and what we have learned through the ages from man 
on how to deal with these complex issues. Um, but no, it's the simplicity, really, of the gospel message. So we should never back down on that. And again, our purpose, our calling, is to proclaim that gospel. So that's what he's talking about. And so now he goes in first, uh, verse 18. We're going to start there. He says, The message of the chorus is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Now, why is it foolishness to those that are perishing? Well, the Bible tells us why. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. It doesn't make sense. It totally goes against the natural reason mind. Actually, the Bible tells us the natural reason mind is at enmity against God. It's like an adversary. It's the total opposite. Um, so the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And that's where the power of the gospel comes in, where the Spirit of God is able to open up a heart to understand. So we, again, we see now the Holy Spirit's role in opening hearts. That's why prayer is so important. That's why we pray. That's why we seek the Lord, because we understand unless God opens the heart, they're not going to understand. Our job is to preach it, to speak it, but only God can open the heart and open the understanding. So that's why we pray, God, open their heart. Holy Spirit, move upon their hearts. Open up their understanding. Lord, help them to see their need for you. That's why we pray. That's why um, that anointing that God promised us is the anointing that opens blind eyes. So Romans 10 kind of speaks about this. It says, with the heart one believes. Isn't it interesting? It doesn't say with the mind one believes. It says with the heart one believes. Remember when Peter was preaching? Were they cut to the mind? <laughs> no, they were cut to the heart. Their hearts were cut open. And what was that? It was the Spirit. It was the Word going forth in the power of the Spirit, and it cut their hearts. It went deeper than just the natural reasoning mind. It went to the core of their being and it exposed everything and their eyes were opened to their guilt. And they said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do to be saved? That's just a picture of God doing it in the power of the Spirit. But yet it goes on in uh, verse 14. How should they call on him how should they call on him whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings, good tidings. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So, someone has to go, right? Who? All of us. Just the preacher? All of us. 
We're all called to go, and not just with our lives. You know, we hear that little phrase. No, we're to tell people. We're to speak the gospel to them. Those who resist the light of the gospel, those who suppress that truth, Romans says, become fools. That's the foolishness of the message. That's why it's foolishness, because they reject it. They're not open. They don't humble themselves, or like it says in that verse prior, they don't obey. They don't submit themselves to it. So what happens, Romans tells us, they become fools. They think they're wise, but they become fools. And what is wisdom, they say, is foolish. And that's what the world is in, isn't it? For it is written, verse 19, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in wisdom, in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. And it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached, the gospel, to save those who believe. Again, there it is. The simplicity of the gospel, which is foolishness to the world. So the reception of that gospel requires what? A humble heart. Jesus said it this way in Mark 10, 15. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Well, a little child doesn't know a whole lot, you know, and they're, they're more readily to believe, you know, what you tell them. And right when they get older, that changes because now they know everything. And it's that natural reason in mind growing and then pride grows. It's just there. Well, I know. I can. I will. It's the spirit of the world. It's, it's the ultimate of pride, thinking I know better than God. Um, but if we'll come humbly, if we'll come right in meekness to the word of God, it's able to save our souls. So there has to be a humbling. There has to be... Um, Something happening in the mind and the heart. Romans 1 says it this way. Um, Paul says in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God to salvation. We, we should say that over and over to ourselves. As the world grows more hostile, as the world looks at you like a fool, it's going to come down, you know, and it already is kind of, I don't know, you'll watch the news sometimes or whatever, and they sometimes be talking about Christianity or something Christian, and you could see the despising or the just disdain they have, or these fools. They're like living in the dark ages. They need to get with it. We just are seen as fools, like believing in these fables, these stories. You know, what's wrong with these people? You know, and they, I guess, lump us in <laughs> with the whole group of people. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation. For everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. 
Faith has to surpass the mind. Faith is a heart issue. Faith is something that happens in the heart when we hear the Word of God and we humble ourselves and it does what um, God intends it to do in a heart and the heart receives it and embraces that truth. Something miraculous happens. The just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. I don't want to hear it. That's foolish. We know better. We know how to fix this world. We know how to run our lives. We don't need God. We don't need those fables. We don't need Christianity telling us what we need to do. They suppress the truth. Because what may be known of God is manifest to them, and God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. But because although they knew God and did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So there it is. It's foolishness. Then verse 22 he says about the Jews, the Jews request a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. And there's two groups of people in there. Well, if this is true, prove it. Or, you know, uh, this is just too ridiculous. And give me something that I can really, wrap, you know, take in with my intellect. You know, give me something with some uh, persuasiveness and human wisdom and philosophy. Um, so, you know, we can boast on what we know. You know, give me some high knowledge. There's two different things we see in the Jew and the Greek. But Paul says, but we preach Christ to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So, what's the stumbling block to the Jews? Huh? No, it was their view of the Messiah. Their view of the Messiah was he was going to conquer the Romans, he was going to come, rule and reign. But the wisdom of God was the total opposite of what the natural reasoning mind would think of what conquering is. Jesus did the total opposite of what their natural reasoning minds had made the Messiah. That's why when he was on the cross, they said, come down, then we'll believe you. If you're really the Messiah, if you're really him, come down off that cross. In other words, come down off the cross, kill all these Romans, and rule in Israel. That's what they were really saying. That's the stumbling block. He wasn't what they perceived 
as their Messiah. Because, believe me, they saw many, uh, plenty of miracles. A person was raised from the dead. But it just goes to show you when we make a God of our own image, um, what can happen. It comes to stumbling blocks. So again, even with the miracles, the signs they wouldn't believe, they demanded he came down off the cross, which shows the cross was foolishness to them. It didn't make sense. If you were really the Messiah, you wouldn't be doing this. Meanwhile, it was written in their prophecies. Isaiah talked about it. How could they be so blind? It just shows you what happens with pride. The pride of man blinds you. And you, you miss God. You think about the rich young ruler. He, he couldn't understand that's Jesus standing in front of him. The Messiah blinded him. So it becomes a stumbling block. And then the, to the Greeks, foolishness. In other words, to the learned, to the natural reason mind. That's what they were into. Um, they despised the gospel. It was absurd. It was ridiculous. It was like an ill-contrived fable to them. Like, what is this? What are you talking about, Paul? It's just foolishness to them. How can intellect, uh, how can um, intelligent people believe such absurd, outdated fables? I mean, that's what the world's in right now. That's how they view us. Like, what is wrong with you guys? Don't you realize it's so foolish? What are you, little kids believing in these little fairy tales? Well, it's true. So then it goes on, and it says, You see your calling, brethren. Not many wise are called according to the flesh. Not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. Now, something I noticed this time, I don't know why I've never seen this, but just because I've been going over and over, it says not many. So it doesn't mean everybody that's called <laughs> is uh, maybe not as smart, doesn't have a high intellect, or doesn't have abilities. God has some people he calls that are able to debate and you know god's gifted them with a, a mind that i don't have or someone else don't have um and god uses that for certain people that i guess can handle it and still understand that without god i still couldn't do this you know it's just because of him that i'm even able to do that so and god uses people like that but most of them so probably would include a lot of us maybe for except dr abby um <laughs> And Joe, Joe's a smart guy. Um, not many wise, according to the flesh. Not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the little wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty, the base things of the world, the things which are despised. God has chosen. And, you know, I'll say it this way. It's the way the world would see us too they see us this way you understand in the world's eyes this is how we're seen this is what we are in the world um, the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence that's key right there so again not many <laughs> the, 
means there's some who God does use that would be considered by the world, uh, you know, in these, not in these terms. Um, those he does use, again, he empowers by the Spirit. So we've been given a calling. You see your calling, all of us. We've been given a calling. Go make disciples. The message we have, it's the power of God. It's the message of the cross. We all have it. There's no greater power or solution to man's problems, and we have it. We have the answer. That no flesh should glory in his presence. In other words, that it, be, uh, that it, it should be shown that the power was of God. It was absolutely nothing we did or could do. Our lives should testify that to the world. People that know us. I know people that knew me. Um, like recently when I was visiting in New York, my cousins, they know, they look at me, they know that that's God. My cousin said to me, like, don't, he don't even know the Lord. He said, I know that's real. Whatever happened to you, whatever is coming out of that mouth, that's not you. I remember you. That's God. That's the power of the gospel. So that people don't look at us and say, oh, well, what happened to you? There, there must be a God in heaven. And it kind of goes along in line with what we've been talking about, right? What God does. Ezekiel 36. When he does it. Remember, we just looked Sunday at when the wall is complete. What happens? Everyone looks and says, that's God. God gets the glory. And so as we're proclaiming the gospel, we should always be making sure God is getting the glory. That no flesh would glory in his presence. Paul, I'm just an unprofitable servant. I'm just a, a nothing that he had mercy on. And then remember this. Everything we have is in him. That's what these next verses speak to us. So, you know, tells us our calling, kind of puts us not in such a good class of people, I guess you would say, in the world. But then he says, but of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. That's really, let us give thanks. Let's praise him for what he's done and what he's given us. All the things we don't have in the natural, what the world is without God, foolish, lost, blind, weak, they don't understand. They're dead spiritually. We have something else in the message of the cross because of Christ. And we need to remind ourselves, of him you are in Christ Jesus. Everything you and I possess is from God now. Everything. For it is by and through him that Jesus Christ comes and all the blessings of the gospel dispensation are ours. That's the thing God has made very real to me that we need to start believing and walking in. We really do need to start laying hold of that because I know we've believed, right? Well, we've been given everything in Christ so that we can proclaim the gospel in power, 
in a way that glorifies God so that we can have a life and a walk, such a transformed life that people know there is a God. And we've been given everything to do that. And that's kind of what it talks about. It says, we who became to us wisdom. In other words, those of us who have received the message, humbled ourselves, who were once fools, right? Well, now we become wise in Christ. He becomes wisdom. In other words, he opens up our understanding. And now we see and understand what he understands and we're learning more and more and more how he thinks and that's talked about in the scriptures in different ways which i'll read in a minute but we become wise by the work of christ by his example by his teaching we get acquainted with the character of god the nature of god with his law with our own condition and with the great truth that there is eternal life in him. So the mind of Christ gets more and more formed in us. That's what Romans 12 is talking about when it says, be transformed, be conformed in your mind. Out of that, the world's thinking, that foolish thinking we used to be in, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The mind of Christ being formed in us Again, the opposite of the world's thinking, which is based in pride. It's the opposite of the mind of Christ. So Philippians 2 kind of lays it out for us. Verses 1 through 8. It says, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection of mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Does that mean just... You all just think the same thing. I mean, it does mean that, but what thing? How are we to think the same is the key, right? Um, be of the same love. Be of one accord. Be of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Uh, if you listen to these words... It's the total opposite of the mind of man and the pride that the world, the natural reason mind, how it thinks. This is the total opposite. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of, in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of a man, as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That is crazy. In other words, you want to be great? Go down. You want to be somebody? Be a servant of all. Deny yourself. What does the world say? You want to be someone? Climb the ladder. Step on heads if you need to. Right? How do you get ahead in this world? How do you get ahead in the kingdom of God? You go down. I've heard it said like this one time, uh, and this is the way our minds are, if 
Jesus was here ruling and reigning on the earth and he was in Chicago and you knew his office was in the Sears Tower, where would you, when you got in the elevator, what floor would you hit to go see him? Right, okay, yeah, we're saying that because we know the answer. <laughs> but in the natural, like, the, let's think about where would God have his, in the penthouse, of course, right? In the ways of man, right? Right? Think of powerful people in the world. Where, where are they, they going to be? Penthouse. But no, Jesus, you press the basement, you go to the basement, and then you find where the janitor's office is. The guy who cleans all the toilets and picks up the garbage, that's where you'll find Jesus. The foot washer. What? That's why the Jews is a stumbling block. It's like, no, that's not our Messiah. Our Messiah is coming to rule. He's going to, you know, take care of these Romans. And then he comes and it's the whole opposite. It's foolishness to them. And sometimes we feel that way, don't we? When God says, go down, humble yourself. Even if you're right, be wrong. Take someone else's guilt on yourself. Don't hold on to what you think you deserve. Let it go. Become a servant. Well, if I do that, everyone's going to just take advantage of me. And, you know, we got to, again, we need the mind of Christ. It's foolishness to us. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had people in counseling, like, like they look at you like, you're asking me to be a doormat. Yeah, pretty much, but not me. God is. Yeah. And then as people are walking over you, bless them and love them. It don't make sense. But if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, it's wise to think that way and act that way. It's the mind of Christ. James 3, verse 13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy, self-seeking in your hearts, don't boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom, it doesn't descend from above. It's earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. And we need to like see our thinking, our natural reason mind for what it is. It really is important because then you'll crucify it. When you understand that your natural reason mind, my natural reason mind, anything that comes from the world's wisdom is demonic, it's evil. And it causes strife, division. Nothing good. Confusion. Look at the world. What are we seeing? Division, strife, confusion. Because that's the wisdom from below. It's not the wisdom from above. So it goes on. It says, um, the wisdom... Well, no, it says, for where envy and self-seeking exist... Confusion and every evil thing will be there. I use this verse when we're counseling 
uh, a husband and wife, and I asked them, what do you want in your home? Would you like this? Uh, envy, self-seeking, confusion, every evil thing. Do you, would you like that in your house? Would you like your kids to live in that kind of atmosphere? Then think like the world. Go on your natural reason mind of what you want instead of what God says. Okay, so then it goes on. But the wisdom that we have in Christ that is from above is pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality. It doesn't have favorites. It doesn't, well, I'll do it for that one, but not that guy. He don't deserve it. No partiality, without hypocrisy. In other words, it's from the heart. It's not just for show. You've dealt with your heart. You know, for us to say, oh, my motives are pure, good luck. But at least we can, as best as we can, from our hearts, Lord, I know you're right. I know I need to do this, Lord, even though I know maybe I'm not, I'm not as pure as you. I still, but Lord, I'm going to be obedient, and I want to please you, and I'm going to pray for this brother. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I want to walk in your wisdom, and you've become wisdom for me. The greatest in the kingdom of God is the servant. Opposite to the world. So he's become to us wisdom. He's become to us righteousness. In other words, justification for our sins, which the law could not do. So that in itself should humble us. We can't work for it. We can't earn it. We're justified by the blood. And so it points to our depravity. It, it reminds us of our depravity, that there's none good, there's none righteous, but it also reminds us of what he did for us, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So he's become to us sanctification. He's become, well, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's what God does. It's awesome. I will take your heart of stone. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. That's sanctification. It's a process. Redemption. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I jumped over, didn't I? I went from righteousness to sanctification. So sanctification um, is our transformation. Again, it's not just external change, but it's true inward change. So we're made righteous, and then he sanctifies us. That's the promise he gave us in Ezekiel 36 when he says, I'm going to cleanse you from all your idols. That's a thorough cleansing. That's a promise that he's going to break the dominion of sin in our lives. He's going to change us from glory to glory, more and more into his image. So righteousness, justification, sanctification, where he changes us, redemption. He is the author of redemption from the servitude of Satan, the dominion of sin and death, from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. Hallelujah. Only the message of the cross can do that. 
Only the message of the cross can provide these qualities, these spiritual attributes, whatever you want to call them, that we have in Christ. And we need to walk in it. We need to apprehend it for ourselves because we have a living hope. So to finish tonight, um, we're going to finish in 1 Corinthians 2.1 on how we are to convey this message. Okay, and Paul tells us here in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come to you with excellence of speech or wisdom, in other words, the world's wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. Actually, uh, some people said Paul wasn't very impressive. Bodily speech wasn't very impressive, which I find hard to believe, but you know, maybe they were just being critical, but whatever, that's what they said about him. He's not very impressive in person. He's probably not what you would think of of a famous evangelist in a nice suit and, you know, the nice hair and just able to work the crowds and all that. I don't think Paul was like that from what we read in the scriptures. Um, wasn't a skilled orator or with the wisdom of this world. He wasn't out to impress people. Our speech should always put the faith in Christ, not us. In his power, in his wisdom, not the wisdom of men. Not with the persuasive words of the world. It should come from our own testimony. You can't share something that hasn't happened in your own life. There'll be nothing in your words. You'll be yeah, giving some good information, and maybe God could use that. You know, If that person's desperate enough, God will use it anyway. But really, if you really want to be effective... It, you have to own it in your own life. It has to come out of your testimony. That was, this came out of Paul's testimony as a witness of what we ourselves have experienced, heard, and seen from Jesus for ourselves. Again, we're not just disseminating information. We are communicating God's word, which is spirit in the power of the Spirit, so men and women, again, are pointed to God, not us. I heard a story once of a doctor that was asked to preach in England for Lord Mayor and the Alderman of London. Big, big deal. His name was Dr. Manton, and uh, he chose a subject in which he had opportunity of displaying his learning and judgment, like, I'm going to show these guys what I know. I'm going to wow him. He was heard with admiration and applause by the intelligent part of his audience. But as he was returning from dinner with the Lord Mayor, a poor man following him pulled him by the sleeve of his gown and he asked him if he was the gentleman that preached before the Lord Mayor. He, his reply was, yes, said he. And the man said, I came with hopes of getting some good to my soul but I was greatly disappointed for I could not understand a great deal of what you said. You were quite above my comprehension. Friends, said the doctor, if I have not given you a sermon, you have given me one by the grace of God. I will not play the fool in such a manner again. I always remembered that. And, you know, we're, um, well, I won't say that, but uh, we want to, 
give it in the simplicity of the gospel. We don't have to wow people. There's times for that, I guess, if you're in seminary or whatever. But when we're giving the gospel, when we're sharing with people, it needs to be in the power of God. It needs to be from our testimony in the simplicity that it was meant to be given. Paul says in verse 2, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So we need to be determined that we're not going to get away from that. That's where you get off when you stop focusing on the gospel and Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You make it about something else, you go off. So Paul's like, I'm determined. I'm not getting off of this. So we need to be ter- we need to stand firm on the Word of God and the message that was given to us because so many are trying to change it and water it, whatever. We have to stand firm. Paul was admonishing Timothy that. Why? Because the only answer is the gospel. But the real gospel. He's the answer for every problem. Paul said in Colossians 1.28, Him we preach. Warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I labor, striving according to his working which works in me mightily. His working. So uh, a man named Jerry Bridges said this, the gospel is not the only most important message in all history. It's the only essential message in all history. Yet we allow thousands of professing Christians to live their entire lives without clearly understanding it and experiencing the joy of living in it. All around us, we see Christians and churchings relaxing their grasp on the gospel, fumbling it, and in danger of letting it drop from their hands altogether. So we have to be determined And then verse 3, he says, And I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. In weakness, in the reality, God, if you don't help me, I'm not going to be able to do anything. I need you. I'm very aware, Lord, of my need for you. But I thank you, Lord, in my weakness, you can make me strong. And Lord, that your grace is sufficient. In fear and trembling. In other words, Lord, I want to be faithful. Help me to rightly divide your word, Lord. Help me, Lord, not to misrepresent you to others. I want to honor you, Lord. I want to honor your word. I don't want to add to it. I don't want to take away from it, Lord. I want to honor you. Fear and trembling. I know what that's like. It's stuff that keeps you up at night. That if anything I said or anything I would do would cause someone to stumble or err. God, protect me. Help me, Lord, to rightly divide. Help me, Lord, not to misrepresent you. Fear and trembling. My speech, my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of spirit and power. In other words, I don't need to add anything else to the message from the world. Nothing. No persuasive words of human wisdom. Don't add anything. It doesn't need it. Just give it in the simplicity and the power of the Holy Spirit because people need the full 
gospel. The whole thing. Not just some. Spirit and power. Romans 15.8 bears this out good. And uh, he's talking about his calling to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And he says, For I will, dare, I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. And here it is. In mighty signs, wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Elycrium, I don't know how to say that. Listen to what he says. I have fully preached the gospel. So what does that include? He said it right here. Signs, wonders, and the power of the Spirit of God. Spirit and power. I have fully preached the gospel to them. That your faith, verse 5, should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Maybe you could persuade someone with human wisdom to get them to pray a prayer. But if it hasn't been wrought in the power of God and the whole power of the Holy Spirit, it's not going to take root. It's not going to affect the person. And it's possibly why we have so many, quote, believers in our churches that really don't live out or have the power of the gospel working in their lives. There's no greater hope than the message of the cross. That's what every person needs. It's the only answer. And I'll just end it tonight with Luke 4, 18 and 19. He's called us. And he's promised us an anointing so that we can preach it in the, in the power and in the spirit so that people can experience the true gospel. So the spirit of the Lord is upon us because he's anointed us to preach the gospel, which is foolishness to the world, but we know what it is. It's the power of God to the poor. He has sent us to heal the brokenhearted. Only God can do that. He has sent us to, pray, to proclaim liberty to the captives. He has sent us to give recovery of sight to the blind. He has sent us to set at liberty those who are oppressed. He has sent us to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. We have to be determined to preach Christ and Him crucified. But we have to do it in the power of that message. The power that has affected our lives, that has changed us. The wisdom, the redemptive work that He's done in our lives, the sanctification, the change He's brought about in our lives, right? This is our calling to proclaim the good news, to keep Jesus Christ and Him crucified at the center of our message, the message of the cross. So Lord, we thank You for Paul's testimony, for Your Word, 
that just testifies of the greatness of what you actually did for us. And I pray, Lord, that these words would go in us, they would produce in us what you want to produce, so that we can go out into the highways and byways and just like Paul, be determined to preach Christ and him crucified, but to do it in the spirit and in power, Lord, that people would come to faith in you. Not a person or a church or a this or a that, but they would come to faith in God because of the miraculous work you do in their hearts when they receive that message, Lord. So I would encourage my brothers, Lord, to take hold of these truths and let them be manifested in and through their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.